0: Thank you so much. Hey, take your Bibles, Exodus chapter 12 today. Exodus chapter 12 is where we'll be today. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful Palm Sunday. If you haven't heard the news, I have joined the club of being a grandparent. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you, it's, uh, it, is, uh, it is a wonderful experience, and I can't wait to meet Savannah Um, I dropped Jane off at the LA airport last night and she flew all night long. And uh, arrived there at 10 o'clock this morning. So she has got she did an all-nighter just to see Savannah. And uh, we're excited about that. Wish I was there with her. But um, duty calls, you know. this what happens when you're a pastor. And you just can't get away on Holy Week to do that. She'll be there all week long. And uh, come back next Saturday and be here for Sunday. But uh, we're excited. I get to meet Savannah the first week of May. My son Patrick is uh, also being ordained as a pastor, um, an elder in the church of Nazarene um, the first week of May. So I've kind of combined both trips together and I'll get to um, stay at his house and spend some time with the baby. So that will be awesome. There, Everybody's doing really, really well. How many of you saw the movie um, <clears throat> uh, Jesus Revolution? How many of you have seen that? All right, there's a lot of you have could I just recommend it to you I I, I went to see this uh, the first day it was out and uh, it's a it's based on a true story of, uh, of, of a movement in this 1970s of the Jesus movement I don't know if you've heard of the the Jesus movement but uh, in the movie there are two characters actually there's one character there's actually three main characters these three these three guys here um, if you've ever seen the chosen um Jesus, the guy that plays Jesus, is in the movie as well. You know, you can see that. But um, Roger Ebert plays um, Greg Laurie. and Greg Lowry is a pastor. This is Greg right here. He's a pastor in um, in down in Southern California big, enormous church called Harvest. Um, he's a great preacher, a good man of God, been faithful to the Lord, and I just, uh, I love his preaching style. He's, uh, a, he's just a good man. So I was uh, reading a little bit um, about, about Greg uh, this week in preparation for this message, and he was talking about how one day he had an opportunity to have lunch with Billy Graham. And I thought, wow, that'd be pretty cool to have a personal lunch with Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham, as you know, has gone on to be with the Lord, so I will have to wait till I get to heaven. He'll be after Jesus that I will go and say, "Hey, Billy, can we have a conversation?" But um, he was having a l- he was having a meal with um, with. Um, with Billy, and he was he was really nervous. He was uptight about it, and so he sat down, and they kind of chit chatted, and kind of got to know each other a little bit. And then Greg Lowry asked Billy Graham this question. Here was a question. He said, he said, Reverend Reverend Graham, if you knew then, as a younger preacher, what you know now after preaching all these years. Would you emphasize anything more as a younger preacher than finding yourself emphasizing today? And without missing a beat, Billy Graham said this, I would preach more on the cross and on the blood. That is where the power is. I would preach more on the cross and the blood because that is where the power is. And I thought, wow, that's a a great segue to this message this morning, because because I don't know if you know this, but, but the power of the cross is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood that cleanses us from all sins. It's the blood that sets us free from the power of sin. God gave his son Jesus Christ as an atoning sacrifice for you and I, so that we could have life and life everlasting. And we praise God. A few years back, there was another movie. You remember Mel Gibson? He, he had the movie called The Passion of the Christ. And uh, I remember that movie so well. It was a very graphic movie. And one movie that probably out of all the movies I've ever seen about, the, about Jesus, it really showed the utter horror of the cross. And the devastation and the pain and the suffering that he went through. And that movie, if you, don't, if you remember back in those days, I don't know, probably 10 years ago now. Um, you know, there was great controversy about it. A lot of people were, it was in the news, it was talked about, people were controversial. And I thought to myself, you know, the cross has always been controversial. The cross has always been Controversial. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians. Actually, the scripture says this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And some people think, oh, that foolishness, that story about Jesus dying on a cross and him shedding his blood, you know, it really, that's just for, that's just a folk story. That's just a mythology that's out there. That really didn't happen, you know. That really doesn't matter. But for those of us who have been saved, who have been redeemed, who have experienced his grace, his love, and his mercy, and experienced the power of the cross that breaks the power of sin in our life and radically changes us, it means everything to us. It means everything to us. It is the most important event in human history, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They go together. We're going to focus on one today, but that's what this cross is. The Bible also tells us, for Christ is our Passover lamb. It's interesting that Paul uses those terms. He says, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And really that goes to the heart of our message this morning when we talk about the Passover. We talk about this idea of God passing over. For those families that had the blood, and we're going to look at that. And so Jesus is known as the Lamb of God. It was John the Baptist who says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb that takes your sin upon himself and changes and radically changes us. So let's read together. Take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12 and let's read a little bit of scripture together today. Stand together as we read starting at verse number one. And uh, we're just going to read down through verse number 13 together, all right? 13 verses. I'm going to look at a few more verses in chapter 12, a few more verses in chapter 13. But this is an important picture for us to understand. Now, this is the story that we are going to have the Seder meal for on Wednesday. So I'm going to preach about it today. We're going to rehearse and live it out in an object lesson on Wednesday, and then we're going to celebrate on Good Friday and worship the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, on Friday, and then on Sunday, we're going to celebrate the risen Lord Jesus, amen? And uh, so that's what we're doing this week, and I hope you'll join us. Here's what the scripture says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there, there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person that will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect and you may take from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take the same some blood, some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire along with bitter herbs and bread made with ye- without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but boast it over, roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, skip down to verse number 31. I want you to see this. During the night, this is after the, after the Passover was, was constructed, it says, in verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you are the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested, take your flocks and herds as you have said, go and also bless me. God thank you for your word today, speak to us I pray, we need to hear from you, in Jesus name, amen, amen, you may be seated. Now, last week we talked about uh, we talked about good old stubborn Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was a stubborn man. He was stubborn and rebellious towards God. He was uh, he was hard-hearted, and I told you last week that if you today if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. And Pharaoh is the greatest example of that at all. He was, a, he was a hard-hearted man. And God brought all of these plagues, these plagues upon, upon Israel. There were ten plagues. And last week we, we referred to the first nine of them. If you look in the scripture, you will find that there, these plagues are actually in, 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 in the, a series of three. There are the blood, the frogs, and the gnats, and then there's the flies, the livestock, and the boils, and then there's the hail, the locusts, and the darkness. And they come in threes. They come in three sections. And and there's a rhythm to them. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Let my people go. I'm not going to let them go. Okay, I'm going to bring these plagues upon you. I'm going to bring my judgment upon you. And finally, he gets to the place where the final judgment comes. And that's where we're looking at with the firstborn. And this is found in chapter 11, starting at verse 1. And goes all the way through chapter 13. A portion of chapter 13 that tells the story story here. Now, out of all the 10 plagues, it is the final plague, the final act that is remembered by the nation of Israel. This is for the Jewish people, their salvation event. It is, a, it is the most significant event in their history as a people. They are to remember it, they are to live it out, they are to take this story of the Passover and they are to transfer it from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And they reenact the story through the, through the, through the Passover event where they have a meal, where there's a lamb and where there's bitter herbs and where there's a home without yeast. And they do all of these things in preparation to remind themselves that God has the power to save them. Somebody's calling. <laughs> power to save them. And, um, and so today we're going to look at that. Now I told you in the very beginning of this series on Exodus that there is what we would have a fuller understanding, first of all, at the character of God. And I hope throughout the last four messages into this messages, you have seen the character of God. He is a holy God. Remember the burning bush and his holy presence. We have seen that he is, um, I am the Lord. I am that I am. In other words, I have no beginning and no end. I've always been. I've always existed. And you remember the statement that Pharaoh says to, says to, um, to, to Moses, well, who is your Lord? And, and who is he and why should I even believe in him? And even if he showed up, I wouldn't believe in him. And God says to him, look, I'm going to show up and I'm going to show up in such power that you're going to finally come to the place to recognize that I am God and that I can do immeasurably more than any of your foreign gods that you have in Egypt. And God has demonstrated that every throughout every single one of these plagues. The second thing I told you, not only you would learn the character of God, but you would better understand the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is connected to the story of the Passover. It is the first indication that God was going to shed his own blood for saving us from our sins. And so what we find here in the book of Exodus is a Christ event. We actually see Jesus in this story. We actually see that Jesus is going to die on a cross for us. And it's a picture that God had a plan in mind long before, before Jesus was even born. That he was actually going to come and to save the world from their sins. And this is lived out for us in the story of the Passover. And so today I want us to connect The gospel of Jesus Christ in the Passover. I want you to see Jesus in this because this week for us is the most significant week in the Christian life. We don't necessarily rehearse the Passover, but what we rehearse is the gospel, which is Jesus Christ being dragged through the streets, trial, the trials, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That for us is the most significant event in human history, both for Jews and Gentiles. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, It is this, but that is found for us in the story of the Passover that helps us to understand it. So five, six things I want you to see today. I got to go quick. The Passover in the gospel is all about a brand new start. It's all about a brand new start. You will notice there that in verse number one and two, it says while Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. He says, from now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. From now on, this will be the first month. This was actually the third or fourth month. We don't know exactly, but this was actually the third or fourth month in their year. But he says, at this point in time, I am changing the calendar because this is a brand new beginning for your life. This is going to be the first month, and this is the first month. And that's why Passover is so significant for the Jewish people. It's the beginning. It's like New Year's for them. It's like the beginning of a new journey, a new year cycle. And so we find that. The word Passover, by the way, the month, by the way, is, is the first month of the religious calendar elsewhere. is called the, the month of Avid. We can find that in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, 23, 15, 34, 18, Deuteronomy 6, 1. All of these references refer to this month called Avid. Avid, which means the month of fresh, young, barley ears, which is March and April in Palestine. Okay? And so for us, that's why Easter is all about springtime. You got Easter lilies, you got the flowers coming up. I remember when I was the first young pastor, I would always go out in New Hampshire where I was pastoring and I would look and I would hope that there would be the tulips that were pointing through. Now the tulips were never up by Easter, but you could at least begin to see the little budding that was happening and I was like, yes, yes, Easter is coming. The other thing that was significant for me when I was thinking about Easter, was it was the Masters Tournament. I always loved the Masters Tournament on the weekend of the Easter. Those flowers and the green. Now, I lived in the north where it was still snow. So the fact that there was green grass someplace in the world, I was like, yes, it's coming, it's coming. And for us who are, who are Christians, when we think of our life as a Christian, we think of the date of our being born again when we got saved, when we became a Christian, when life started anew. And so we have our physical birthday. You know, I was born on May 30th, 1966. And then you have your spiritual birthday was the day that I became a Christian, which was Easter Sunday, 1982. And so my spiritual birthday is really significant to me because that was the day that I really started to live. And this is what... God was saying to the nation of Israel, on this day is a brand new beginning because I am taking you out of slavery, out of darkness, and I'm starting a whole new chapter in your life. Amen? And so, so this is what Jesus does for us. That's why Jesus said, Paul said this. He says, the old is gone, the new is come. What is that old and new? That is the transformation that happens with the gospel. And so the gospel gives us this new beginning. And the Passover did the same thing. The second thing I want you to see is that Scripture says that the lamb must be perfect. The lamb must be perfect. He says, announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, that would be Aviv, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. And by the way, these households were made up of multi-generations. There was the, there was, you know, the grandparents and the great-grandparents and all of the children together. If you were from a small family, they said, listen, go join another family. Okay? This, was not a, this was not a private experience, this was a community experience, and every family did it. He says, the animals you choose must be a year-old males without defect. The word defect literally means there, it means, a, it means complete, whole, sound, or perfect. In other words, Don't pick up your lamb that has been, you know, that's old and kind of wandering around. It's coming to the end of his life and sacrifice that. Don't bring the one that's sick. Don't bring the one that's been used for multiple occasions and you're going to just throw away. I want your best. I want a perfect lamb. I want a strong lamb. I want it in the very beginning of its life, within the first year. And this represents for us that the Lamb of God, the ultimate Lamb of God, had to be perfect. He had to be without blemish. He had to be without sin. And that's why Jesus, when he lived on the earth for 33 years, he lived without sinning. He was a perfect sacrifice for human sin because he was without sin himself. And he was able to provide the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was the perfect. Lamb of God. Now, I referred to this last week in Revelation chapter 12. Um, we looked at this. We talked about the great dragon that was hurled, the ancient serpent. Remember I talked about the serpent in Egypt? Remember the, the Egyptian cobra, you know? And he was symbolized, the powerful God that brought strength and life. And the, and the Pharaoh actually had a, a serpent or a snake on, its, on, his, um, on his tunic there, which symbolized that and they worship they actually built temples for this for this god it says the ancient serpent called the devil which the serpent was always known as the devil who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him and so in revelation it talks about this time when god says you know what i am kicking satan who has rebelled against god and all of his angels out of heaven and he's going down to earth and what is, has what is Satan done for all of this time he's been on earth? He's brought death, destruction, disharmony, pain, suffering. But then in Revelation chapter 12, it says, they, that's those of us who are Christians, triumphed over him by what? The blood of the lamb, the power of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony. So your testimony in Jesus Christ saving you of your sins through the blood of Christ gives you the power over Satan, who is at work in this world. And it's his power that is at work. And we find that here in the story of the Passover, when Jesus, I mean, when the the death angel comes and passes over. You know, he passes over and he doesn't bring death to that family because of the lamb that was sacrificed there. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Passover is seen as the perfect lamb. Third thing I want you to see is the lamb had to be killed or sacrificed. The lamb had to be killed or sacrificed. So the scripture goes on to say, says this, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Take care of who? This lamb. So the lamb is born. It's the perfect firstborn male. It's beautiful. It's without defect. You're going to take care of that lamb until the 14th day of the month of Aviv. Okay, remember that month? That is the start of the new year. He says, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So every family in the community chose their lamb. They gathered together. And they took that lamb and then they sacrificed the lamb. I mean, they literally killed the lamb right there in front of all of those who had gathered. And they took that lamb. And then the scripture says this, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, the Bible says. So the slaughtering of the lamb was was an act of, of of sacrifice to Almighty God for the sins of their day and time. Now, we know in the book of Hebrews it says the sacrifice of animals does not bring forgiveness of sins, but it points to Jesus who is the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God. And because of his death on the cross, his death not only forgives those in the future, but his death also forgives those in the past. Going all the way back to the time of of the very beginning of Exodus, that the death of Jesus Christ takes care of their sins as well. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So, why did they have to slaughter a lamb? Because they were being taught that sin was, brings death. And the only way you could have forgiveness is through the shedding of blood. Remember a few weeks ago during prayer time. I think it was during the time we were having communion. I was telling you about my neighbor in, in Maryland. Who said to me all the time. I said, I, I said to Mary one time going to the, to the, uh, to the um, bus stop. Where we were dropping our kids off. And, she, and I said, Mary... Um, I would really love you and your husband and your daughter. Her name is Annie. It was the same age as my daughter, Kristen. And they were good friends in the neighborhood. And I said, I would love for them to come to church. Easter's coming up. Why don't you come and join us? And she said to me, and i would never forget it. I told you this before. She said, she said, you know, I just can't get over the blood. I just can't get over the blood. And I was like, what do you mean the blood? She goes, I don't know if children should be exposed to blood so much. You know, the blood of Christ and the blood that is poured out. The Bible's always talking of the blood, the blood, the blood. And I walked away from that conversation and I was going, wow, I didn't ever realize how much the blood offends people. For us who are Christians... You know, we have sanctified the cross almost. We've made it we've made it bloodless. We wear it as jewelry, but the cross is a symbol of death. It's a symbol of sacrifice. It was an horrific vent. It was it was it was in some ways you would say it's archaic that we would even celebrate something like that. But without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. And Christ, when he died, he died once and for all so that we do not have to shed any more blood because he shed it for us. And so that ended the sacrifice of animals along the way. But the lamb had to be killed. Can I tell you this? Jesus had to die. He had to. There was no other option for God to save you, to save me, and to save the world. He had to die. And you remember in the garden, he said, Father, not you know, please take this cup from me. It was, it, was, it was heart-wrenching for him. And yet he said, not my will, but your will be done. And what does he do? He's dragged through the streets. He's crucified on a cross. He's hung there for three hours suffering. And finally gave up his life and said, it is finished. What was finished? The sacrifice was finished. The sacrifice was finished. His purpose of coming to the earth was finished. And my friends, Jesus Christ didn't just come to be a nice person to show us a nice way to live. He came to die. And he dies for you and for me. And that's what we see here in the Passover story. This is my blood. Remember the the new covenant? This is the the communion that he started on Passover. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, for many for the forgiveness of sins. He takes the cup after he breaks the bread. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out. And so when you take communion, what are you doing? You are participating all over again in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, him shedding your own blood. And that is a picture for us in the Passover. All right, number four. How do we find the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Passover? The blood not only was killed, or the lamb killed, but the blood had to be applied. Catch this. The blood had to be applied. So they sacrificed the animal and then they scratch. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. So it's important. A couple of little notes here. First of all, they take some of the blood and they put it on each door post and they put it on the, on the door frame. By the way, what does that connection to? It's a symbol of the cross. A lot of people don't connect that. But it's like he was taking a picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do for us. He says, I want you to apply the blood to the sides and the door frames. And it must be applied to the houses where the lamb is being eaten. It can't be in your neighbor's house. Can't be in the house down the street. It's got to be in your house. And you have to be in the house. The house that has sacrificed the lamb, that has now applied the lamb to the doorframe, the blood to the doorframe, you have to be in the house so that when the death angel come to strike the final plague to kill all of the firstborn, by the way, that plague would have killed the Israelites as well if they didn't have the blood. It was not just for the Egyptians. It was for any person that did not have the blood applied. And the Passover was the death angel came and saw the blood on that home and passed over and did not bring death to that firstborn. Now, a lot of people think about the firstborn and they say, wow, that's a horrible event. Think about this. The firstborn, it could have been somebody who was 50 years old. It could have been somebody who was one years old. The firstborn was any firstborn, animal or human being brought death. All of them deserve death. All of us deserve death. All of us deserve the death of being separated from God for all of eternity. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have violated God's laws. So all of us deserve death. And so the picture here is that God brought this plague to set the nation of Israel free. So finally Pharaoh said, all right, you can go now. You can go now, you know. But he also has given a picture of how death is not going to visit those who have the blood applied in their life through Jesus Christ. How do you get the blood applied in your life? Well, we don't, on Thursday, we're not going to cut lambs here, and we're not going to put it on our post. You know what we are going to do on Friday? We're going to celebrate the cross of Jesus and what he did for us. We're going to take communion together. And we're going to eat and drink and remember that covenant, and remember that our personal faith has been put on Jesus. The blood has been applied. I love this portion here. This is important here. It says then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, "Go at once and select the animals your families of slaughter at the Passover Lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the, that would be like branches. Dip it in the blood." in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Very clear instructions. He says, listen, in that day when you put the doorframe, everybody's got to stay home. You can't go out. You can't go out to the barbecue. You can't go out to the pool. You can't go out, you know, to your friends. You got to stay in the house. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Now, the Passover literally means passed over. But it also means to spread over and protect you. Notice it says that the death angel will not go inside. In other words, God says not only is the death angel going to pass over, but you are protected from, the, from death, from destruction. God is going to have a hedge of protection around your life. And really that's what happens when we accept Jesus into our life, right? We know that we know that Christ gives us eternal life, but we know that every day the Lord is with us, 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 the Lord is with us. Is with us. And wherever we go, we go in the power of the Spirit of God that goes with us and He guides us and He protects us and He, and he, and he pr- begins to provide a covering over us. And this is the picture we find of the blood being applied in our lives all right number four the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Passover number five actually be ready to move on from the old into the new this is this is a cool instruction here because there is some instructions about how they're supposed to eat all right what's the meal like What's the preparation like? Stay in the house. Stay there. God's going to protect you. He's going to pass over you. But while you're eating, he says, notice this. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Over. so in other words God says be ready to run be ready to move don't be kicking around the table and kicking your shoes off and taking your and putting your jammies on and just hanging out you know for a nice evening with the family that's not what this Passover is about Because God is going to come and after the Passover is done, in other words, the the path, the angel comes and the angel goes. First thing in the morning, you are getting ready. You've got your bags packed. You've got your stuff that you collected and you're ready to leave Egypt and go on to a new life. And that's really a picture of what the Christian life is all about. Once you receive Jesus into your life, the blood has been applied. You've accepted Christ. You've got a brand new beginning that happens. He says, now I want you to walk in newness. I want you to walk in newness. I want you to walk a new way. I want you to leave behind the old life. And I want you to walk in a new life. And I want you to do it immediately. And that's why Jesus, the very first message of the gospel was simply this. Repent and believe. What was the repentance part? Turn away from the old. Turn towards the new. Go away from the old ways of living. Start living in the new ways of living. That this life of walking with Jesus was not just an event that happened in one time and place. It was the start of a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus every single day. And so so the scripture talks about, about being ready. Now, Paul talks a little bit about this when he talks about putting on the armor of God. Notice how Paul uses. He says, first of all, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with your breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What did Moses say to them? I want you to be ready, put on, put on your cloak tucked in, put, make sure your sandals are ready there, because as soon as the death angel come, I want you to move. And when you become a Christian, you have to arm yourself with the battle garments of righteousness, the battle garments of the word of God, the battle garments of the Holy Spirit with prayer. Because you are entering a life that you are going to be walking a different path and living a different way than the rest of the world who don't know Christ. And it will be difficult. And so be ready to move. Be ready to move. The sixth place that I want you to see the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Passover is get rid of all sin. Get rid of all sin. Notice what it says over in chapter 13. It says this. For seven days eat bread without what's it say? Yeast. Yeast. For seven days I want you to eat bread without yeast. Now in the Old Testament, yeast represents sin. Okay? Yeast represents sin. And on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. So during Passover... Jewish people go throughout their entire house and they throw away the hamburger rolls, the hot dog rolls. They throw away anything that has yeast in it. They not only do they not eat it, but they get it out of their house, which represents this idea that when you start living For Jesus Christ, you are living a life that does not accommodate sin in your life. You do not accommodate sinful behavior, sinful actions, sinful thoughts, sinful things. You want to live a brand new life separate from sinning. And this represents for us a picture of how serious they take sin in a public form of yeast. And so, for some of us here this week, that's why I hope and pray that this holy week will be an opportunity for you to get rid of some sin in your life. Amen? Get rid of the, get rid of the stuff that you know that is destroying your life, and start living a life where you do that. And, and I, I just think this whole idea, anywhere within your borders— Anywhere within your sphere, your home, your office, your car, your phones, (laughs) your TVs, your, your things you read, whatever it might be, in your cabinets there might be some things, things you smoke or drink or eat or whatever, you want to get rid of anything you know that is not of God and sinful, you want to get rid of it. My friends... God wants you to experience Jesus Christ that is found in the Passover. And I hope today that you will understand a greater understanding of how what Jesus Christ did for you was was the fulfillment of what God did for the nation of Israel in Exodus. And that we recount that. Now, a couple of other things I'd say before we go. I just think it's interesting that The instructions that Moses gave to the nation of Israel as they were to do this every single year, every single year, they would have to rehearse this whole thing over and over again. And they had to do that because they wanted every single generation to know about what God had done for them in the past. And that's why as Christians, we rehearse the story. We rehearse a story every year. We rehearse it. We rehearse it. We rehearse it. We remember. Why do we do that? Sometimes like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But you do need to know again. And if you stop rehearsing the most important stories in your life, one generation will soon, they won't even experience it anymore. They won't even know anymore. And they'll move on. And they'll find, oh, what did the church used to do? And what does the gospel really mean? God has placed in our liturgy of worship, our church calendar, our life rhythms, certain habits and practices that should not be optional for us. And I am afraid that sometimes in our culture today, they have, become, they have become optional. I'd rather go to the baseball game or I'd rather go travel or I'd rather go this or that. And the things that are important become less important. And soon generations grow up and they don't even know. God did not want that to happen to his people. And he doesn't want that to happen in your life. Amen. By the way, That's why I think worship every seven days is not optional. It's not. This is not like an occasional thing that we do. God so told us in his word to come together. And not forsake the Lord's day. Why do we worship on Saturday and I mean on Sunday instead of Saturday now? Because it's the Lord's day, the Risen Day. And we do that because we want to be reminded and stay in rhythm with His rhythms. By the way, when we get to the rest of Exodus, you're gonna, he's going to get to His Ten Commandments. And you know, one of the commandments were, the "Do not forsake the Sabbath." Why did He say that? because he wanted his people to stay in rhythm with him. Amen? So make certain things holy in your life and don't allow the world to creep into them because if you do, you'll lose a whole generation who doesn't know. God made that very clear. Well, let's stand together. I preached long enough, oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow. Hey, we're not going to sing a song. Sorry, worship team. God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this week. And we thank you for this holy, holy week of we celebrate Jesus all over again. We thank you for the Passover, which teaches us so much about what you did for us, Jesus. I pray that right now, if there's anyone in the room that has not applied the blood, would they would apply the blood. Apply the blood by receiving Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we receive you right now, Lord. Come into our lives. Forgive us of our sins. Make us more and more like Jesus, I pray. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you all.